Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, for those of you who just got here, I've got uh, a book and a couple of surveys for you. If you could get those after class, that would be uh, a great thing. Great to have you uh, in week one of uh, 14 weeks. Uh, practical helps for parents to succeed. And uh, I hope you will do everything you can to attend every week. If uh, you can't attend, uh, our plan is to post these every Sunday afternoon. Please don't use that as a, an opportunity to, ah, I don't need to be there. Uh, there there's something special just about physically being there uh, when you're able to do so. So I would encourage you to do that. When I look around and, and look at everybody here, there's uh, a lot of things we don't have in common. Uh, we're not the same age. Uh, we don't have the same number or ages of children, if you look around. Uh, we don't have the same kinds of backgrounds. Uh, we don't have the same gifts. Our children's don't, children don't have the same gifts. They don't have the same. Uh, there's a lot of things that are different, but here's something very powerful we do have in common. As parents, we want to succeed and we want our children to do well in life. That is an incredibly powerful common denominator, and that's what brings us here today. And uh, understand that we don't live in the culture that uh, your parents grew up in or even some of you grew up in, depending on where you grew up. Our culture no longer points children to good character. It no longer points them to their gender. It no longer points them to our creator. It no longer points them to all kinds of things that culture in general pointed children. And I just want to remind you this morning that God picked you and I for today. All right. He didn't put you and I in this culture, in this time, because we were destined to fail as parents and our children have no chance. That is not the case. God picked you and I because you and I have enough grace and enough wisdom and sense from God that in this day and age, we can succeed as parents and our children can succeed uh, in life. Uh, I believe how we prioritize faith in the life of our children is one of the two greatest indicators of the depth of our own faith, which brings up the really the key question that we must answer as parents, and here it is. Does God really know more than I do about what it takes for my children to succeed in life? I want you to think about that because, I mean, I, I read things uh, and you, you'll have somebody will post on, on Facebook. I'm not a big Facebook person. I get on there every once in a while. Someone will post some question uh, on Facebook and someone will answer back, just follow your mommy instincts. Now, while that sounds really, really, really good, is it actually accurate? Are we instinctually geared to know what to do in our complex culture? Or do we need to find some guidance from our Creator? Does He know more than I do about what it takes for our children to succeed uh, in life? And uh, by the way, God does. And over the next 14 weeks, Lord willing, we will talk about some practical helps for you as a parent to succeed. Uh, 
God does know more than we do. It's an interesting thing to me that people in general find it easier to trust God with things they can't see than things they can't. Say, so what do you mean by that? Uh, people much more naturally will believe the Bible when the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You, you realize that's an eternal thing and you know, that's hard to prove out, although you have a bunch of people who would testify, yeah, that's true. You know, on the other hand, when it comes to life, things that we can see, uh, we can watch the product of certain choices. We have trouble sometimes trusting God with those, and really those should be the easiest thing to trust God with. Now, before we start our our class, uh, probably, uh, I think most of you all know me basically at least, Uh, but I I want you to understand who's teaching. I I mean, I've been married 36 years. Uh, My wife and I have three sons. They are 34, 32, and 30. Uh, We recently, we have five grandchildren. The oldest one is like two years and four months old. Our sixth one will be born in January, so we will have six grandchildren all under uh, two and three quarters. Um, I grew up on a a farm in Michigan, uh, a family farm. Uh, I did not grow up in what I would describe as a Christian home. When uh, our children, uh, when we found out that Sharon was pregnant, uh, neither one of us sat there and said, because we became Christians as adults, neither one of us sat there and said, you know what, I want to raise our children like we were raised. Now, there were some things we wanted to put in there, but n- neither one of us would have said, you know what, I, I, as much as possible, I want to raise our children like I was raised. And so for us, we had to learn. Um, you, you know, you might call me a geek, but before our children were even born, I, I not only asked all kinds of people questions, uh, I'd read several books. I think to this date, I've probably read at least 14 books. I think that's how many we have in the bookstore and uh, at least 60 biographies. I've read all of those. It's something that interests me. Every time I teach the class, I read a new book on parenting because uh, I, I want to be a help to you. Uh, this is the seventh time I've taught this class, and uh, each time I try to do a little better. And what the surveys will do, they'll help me uh, gear the class to be a help uh, to you. Uh, I want to help you. Uh, I know you want to do a good job. That, that's why you're here. And um, I'll be the first one to admit, I don't know everything. If you're in this class saying, wow, good, I'm going to listen to Brother Wally, there'll be some silver bullet and my kids will never go astray, Uh, they will always do what's right, that that silver bullet doesn't exist, okay? Um, There is no way that's true. What I'm going to do is teach you biblical principles that our Creator has set for us And if you and I put these principles into practice and instruction, they will make a positive difference in our children's lives, and our children can succeed. And I know that's what we all want. And today, really, all we're going to do, we're going to sort of lay a foundation for the next 14 weeks. We'll close with a question that I I think you'll find interesting and maybe can talk about. How many people here have heard of Benjamin Spock? Uh, if you have anything to do with secular uh, education, I mean, he is the, uh, the guru on parenting. He wrote a book a long time ago, 1946. 
sold 50 million copies, been translated into 39 languages, and for the most part, the key things he teaches are the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Uh, in fact, a lot of people blame his philosophy. He didn't die until 1998. A lot of people blame the philosophy that he put forth in that book that was widely accepted in academic circles. They blame that philosophy for producing the 1960s and early 70s. Here's a good question. Where Dr. Spock and the Bible disagree, who are you going to believe? See, if you go to an academic circle, they're going to tell you don't believe the Bible. They're going to tell you believe Dr. Spock. Uh, when what you want to do or what you feel is different from what God said, who are you going to believe? You may disagree with this, but, but this is my personal philosophy on my home and, and on ministry, and it's this. I never believed my children were social experiments. Say, so what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is I did not want to take the latest and greatest societal ideas and experiment by teaching them to my children to later get down the road and say, do you know what? That didn't turn out good. What my philosophy has been both in life and in ministry is, hey, let's find out what worked because people haven't changed, what parenting philosophies work, what principles built people in the past, what, what, what helped people become independent, functional uh, adults with faith, what did that in the past? And you know what? I'm going to do that because the same thing will happen. There's a story told about children who are bringing gifts to their teacher on the last day of school. Uh, the florist's child brought the teacher a bouquet of flowers. Uh, the candy store owner uh, brought the teacher a pretty box of candy. Well, the third kid in the line was his parents owned the liquor store in town, and he handed the teacher a, a big, brown, heavy box. And as the teacher picked it up, she noticed that it was leaking a little bit. And so based on everything that had happened, she just took her finger and touched the liquid and put that on her tongue and said to the boy, is it wine? He said, no. Well, she touched it again, tasted it again. It's champagne. And the boy snapped. I said, no, it's a puppy. <laughs> See, when we make the wrong assumptions, things don't always turn out like we think. Uh, I know a lot of you are not familiar with this, but Willow Creek Church outside of Chicago uh, 40 years ago had a ministry philosophy change that was embraced by tens of thousands of churches. It was called the seeker-sensitive movement. How many people have heard of that? Seeker-sensitive movement, what it did was it says, you, you know what, let's find out what people who are unsaved out there want in a church service, and we'll do that. If the unsaved people want this kind of music, we'll do that kind of music. If the unsaved people want this kind of message, we'll do that kind of message. And this philosophy was embraced by tens of thousands of churches. Uh, Thirty years into that, uh, Bill Hybels, who started that, 
came out and said, you know what, we did this experiment 30 years ago and it hasn't worked. We now have all kinds of people in our church, but they don't know anything about what they're doing. Listen, don't take your children and make them into social experiments. Find out what's proven, what God has said. Find out what's been proven by seasoned people who have raised... (laughs) How many people here have known somebody who raised a kid who was a good 8-year-old but a terrible 18-year-old? I've known a lot of them. Listen, as parents, our goal is not to produce a good 8-year-old, though we would like to have a good 8-year-old. Our goal as parents is to produce a functional, independent adult with faith in Jesus Christ that matters to them. And you can go ahead, get advice from people who are socially experimenting with their children and they've got a good 8-year-old, but listen, understand, there's a big difference in what produces a good 8-year-old and a lousy, functional, independent adult sometimes. Each week I'm going to have some interesting but not serious quotes uh, in a lot of cases. Uh, Someone sarcastically said before I got married I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children and no theories. Somebody also sarcastically said the first half of our lives are ruined by our parents and the second half by our children. (laughs) On a more serious note, somebody said while we try to teach our children all about life, Our children teach us what life is all about. And I I can testify to you as someone, uh, listen, I'm not standing here as someone who had uh, three boys who were always doing the right thing. Listen, they were not. I I don't stand here as somebody with all the answers. (laughs) I am just somebody who says, listen, you know what? where you weigh back all the grief and all the blessings, it's an incredible blessing to have children. And by the way, I know some people uh, who would look back and say, do you know what, I wish I wouldn't have had them. I'm not one of those. Uh, I, I literally, I have zero major regrets about the way we handled our children. I didn't say they don't have things I wish I would have done better. There were. That's my goal for you. Zero regrets. Okay? We can't control with 100% certainty the product. You can't control 100% what your children do. But we can control 100% of how we respond to what our children do. So as we begin to think about success as a parent, what does it mean? Success is not defined up, defined by our children having more money and wealth than we have. Our children might not be as gifted as we are to earn money. Success is not defined by our children being in full-time ministry. I despise that attitude in churches and amongst those in full-time ministry. I believe success is defined by me as a parent helping my children find their spiritual gifts and use them, whatever they might be. Success is not defined by our children being physically attractive as the world determines that. Uh, 
but success can be defined by our, our children taking good care of themselves and being comfortable in their own skin. Don't lift your hand, but I would ask you, are you comfortable in your own skin? You know, some people, they never get there. If you get your child comfortable in their own skin with the way God made them, that's success. Uh, success is not defined by our children turning out just like us. Don't lift your hand, but if I were to say lift your hand, if your ideal person in life is you, uh, listen, we all like ourselves. But, but that's not success. Success is helping our children become what God designed them to become. Success is not defining, like I said earlier, on our children being good children. Listen, we all want good children. Uh, I was the kind of kid, they, they probably don't even do this anymore. I, I got D's, I had A's in all my work and D's in conduct. In second grade, they moved my desk in the corner. I know they probably don't do that stuff anymore either. I was in the corner for a month. I despised it. A kid named Tim Monroe finally misbehaved badly enough that they moved him into the desk in the corner, and I behaved for the rest of the year. Success is not a good kid, though we all want one. Success is an independent, functional adult who practices and follows their faith in Jesus. I'm not a perfect teacher. I don't have perfect products, but I do have a perfect book. Uh, I do recommend it, and uh, I have a book. It's a gift from the church to you. If you didn't get it, we'll get it to you after class. Um, I would recommend that you read it. But the only perfect book is God's Word. And our key question as we begin to think about today's thought, does God really know what will produce a better life for my child than I do? And the answer to that is yes. Listen to me. You do as a parent what our Creator has taught us to do as parents, and you will do a good job as a parent, and you will be a success. You won't be perfect, but you will do a good job as a parent. And so today we lay a foundation. The title of our thought for this morning is just the foundation for parenting. Genesis 1, verse 26 says, And God said... Uh, I'm sorry, some of you aren't there yet. Genesis chapter 1. I said that earlier. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have the dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him. Look up just a page to chapter 2 and verse 7. This chapter 2 gives the details of how chapter 1 occurred. It says, And the Lord God formed a man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Here's number one. God is our creator. That means he makes the rules. You and I have no right to decide what God says is right and wrong. God made us. We did not make him. Any God that was made by man is not God. Now, most people here don't have any problem, basically, with this idea that God makes the rules. 
even though we prefer to make them ourselves. But here's the problem. I've never seen God in either of you. I've never audibly heard God in neither of you. In fact, I don't, I personally, I don't believe anybody living has seen or heard Jesus audibly since the death of the last apostle. So here's the question. Since we can't audibly hear God and visibly see God, how do we know what God wants? How do we find God's will today? How do we submit to his authority? We all agree that as a creator, he's the authority. Uh, For instance, if you're trying to decide, well, what's more important, uh, church or this athletic event? How are you going to decide? Now, there are things and people in all of our lives to whom God has delegated some of his authority. For instance, when I moved to Cincinnati uh, after I graduated from uh, college a long time ago, 1983, uh, my fiancé was up in Toledo. Sharon was in Toledo. I moved down to Cincinnati. The plant manager where I worked at Owens, Illinois, his name was Dick Roberdew. And uh, he was a very successful man. Uh, He was probably 55 or 60 at that time. The plant had been the number one plant in the plastics division for a Fortune 100 company uh, several years in a a row. He was one tough hombre. Um, If you were in the back of the plant working and the secretary came back to the plant and said, Robert, who wants to talk to you? You never, ever one time said, you're the secretary, I'm not moving. You see, when she came, she didn't come in her own authority. She came with Robertu's authority. And so you immediately, and I mean immediately, you stopped what you were doing, and you went up there, not because of the authority of the messenger, but the authority of the one who sent the message. Which brings up a good question. Where has God delegated some of his authority today? Where has he delegated it in my life, in the life of my children? Go ahead back in your Bible to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. We're just laying a foundation for success as a parent. 2 Timothy. One of the reasons our marriages are in such bad shape is we don't understand God's plan for marriage. And so we don't follow it. One of the reasons uh, homes in America are in such bad shape. We don't know God's plan for the, fo- for the home, and, and so we don't follow it. One of the reasons our culture is such a mess is our culture doesn't know God's plan for society, so it doesn't follow it. Uh, where has God delegated his authority in the life of my children and me as a parent? Which gets to number two. God delegated authority to his word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, this is very familiar. Uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Inspired means God breathed. God is the ultimate authority, but we haven't seen or heard him. And so what God did is he gave us something we can see and hear. God delegated his authority in his word. 
And that's really, really important when we consider places where Benjamin Spock and our society differ with the Bible or places where we personally and our personal opinion differs from the Bible. The primary place God has left us his delegated authority is the Bible. It is the only final and inerrant authority that exists anywhere. Uh, li- listen, um, <laughs> I am fallible. You are fallible. That means we can err, we can wrong, be wrong, we can fall. This book, never. Do you know what God says is right and wrong? Do you know, I, I mean, do you know what God says uh, about living forever? Do you know what God says he is like? You say, well, I think God is cool with pretty much everything everybody does. Well, that's a God you created in your own mind. That's not the real God. It's an idol God. I-D-O-L. Do you know what God says he wants in relationships? How are you going to have a marriage relationship that pleases God? Remember, does God know more about life than I do? Does God know about what makes a good marriage than I do? Does God know what, um, more than I do about what, what makes a good parent? What does God say about relationships? How are you going to do it? How are you going to teach it? Do you know what God wants from you and your children? Do you know what God prioritizes as a parent? We're going to close with a question today, and it's a really important question. See, all other authorities and all methods must be compared and judged first to the authority of God's Word. If you write down statements, write this one down. Never obey delegated authority that tells you to do anything contrary to the Bible. Never obey delegated authority that tells you to do anything contrary to the Bible. Remember, God's a creator. He's the ultimate authority. God then delegated some of his authority to the written word. And then, as we're going to see in a second, God delegated in his word some of his authority to different people or organizations. Never obey delegated authority that tells you to do anything contrary to the Bible. Anybody besides me ever had a fascination with the Amish? I I, I don't know why. I I don't want to be Amish. I don't want to just have a buggy. I don't want to have safety pins instead of buttons. I I don't want to get rid of my phone. I don't don't want my wife out there with a a rubbing board and a clothesline putting my my whitey-tighties out there on the line. I I, I, I don't want to be Amish, but I I just have a fascination with them. And um, I like, I will watch like every reality show for a little while because it fascinates me what makes pe- people tick. I mean, what, 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 what goes into a guy that kills gators for a living? You know, shoot him, shoot him. Uh, what, what, why, why are you a crab fisherman uh, up there doing that? What, what, what is that like? You know, gold rush. I mean, what are, what are these guys like? I mean, what makes them? It, it just fascinates me, uh, these sister wives. Anybody ever watch that? And you walk back from that and you think, woman, man, what is wrong with you? Am I the only one? 
Um, but but they, there was a show a long time ago, and there were a lot of Amish takeoffs, and a lot of them were about Amish rebels, and I hated those. But, but this one was a show. Uh, the guy, the main guy was named uh, Mose, which was, uh, I guess, some German version, I'm guessing, of the, of the name Moses. And he had left the Amish and became a Christian, and, and what he was doing, his ministry, was helping people who were leaving the Amish and, and basically getting back and adjusted in, in the schedule. He was from out west. And here's something he said. It really struck me when he said I wrote it down. He said this, We never were able to read the Bible. It was in high German. We were never encouraged to read it. We were supposed to just listen to what the bishop told us it said. What I'm saying to you is you better learn for yourself what it says. And what it doesn't say. And by the way, great job being here and being a part of a church that tries to encourage you to read it for yourself and teach it all as it is. See, God's authority in his word is for our own good and make our life better. But the Bible is not the only place God has delegated some of his authority. See, because we don't have any problem with God being the final authority. He's the creator. In fact, we don't really have much of a problem with the Bible being the final authority. Uh, now we get to a problem. Go in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Here's number three. God has delegated authority to parents over their own children. God is the final authority. God has delegated his authority to the Bible. In the Bible, number three, God delegates authority to parents over their own children. Ephesians 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Uh, God very clearly told, told children to obey their parents. What that means is God gave you authority as their parent. See, because God gives authority to parents over children, that means your children are not the property of the community. Your children are not the property of the government. Your children are not the property of the church. Your children are not the property of all adults. Your children have been given to you by God and he gave you authority to raise them. You are not in charge because you're bigger. That may work until your child is a teenager. You're not in charge because you're smarter because eventually you might just figure out, you know what, you're not as smart as your kids. You're in charge because God put you in charge. And I would hope to God that even if they're smarter, you're going to be wiser. Because of this authority, children obey their parents in the home and honor them when they leave the home. By the way, God picked your parents and mine. You say, well, I don't like who he picked. Uh, so... Listen, whether your parents were good or bad or somewhere in between, God picked them because there is something 
from them and the environment he chose for you, even though many environments and homes are not environments that please God, there is something about where he chose for you that will give you something to overcome and allow you to help other people because you overcame it. Maybe instead of having so many gripes about the way we were raised, we ought to stop instead and say, Lord, why did you choose this environment for me? How do I help other people because of what you allowed me to go through? By the way, notice it's not the authority of all adults over all children. That's an American cultural issue back from back in the day. It's not a biblical issue. Though I do believe all children should respect adults as adults. Authority belongs to the parent. God said so. God, along with giving you authority, gave you something very unique. That's called influence. Have you ever thought and considered how different the amount of time a human mammal is with their parent versus every other mammal? Have you ever considered and stopped and thought about how much every other mammal has inside them instinctually that your children and mine did not have? Listen, there's a reason that God made human beings as blank slates, so to speak, natural dispositions, natural gifts, but not instinctual. Your children are not going to instinctually tell the truth. They're not going to instinctually share. They're not going to instinctually work hard. They're not going to instinctually respect you as parents. They're not going to instinctually do any of the things that other animals do by instinct. God gave them to you for a long time on purpose, and he made their slate blanker because he wants you to do something in their life. And parents aren't perfect. They just know more about life than children. And you'll make less mistakes than your children would on their own. Psalm 127. And we'll wrap it up. God is the ultimate authority. He decides what is right and wrong. He is the creator. Because we can't see and hear God audibly and visibly, God delegated his authority to something we can see, his written word. And in that word, God delegated some authority to parents over their own children, other things as well that we're not talking about those. And lastly this morning, Psalm 127, verse 3. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies uh, in the gate. Uh, We're not going to talk this morning about your children being arrows that you point at a target. We'll talk about that more as this class goes on. Uh, This morning, what I want to just point out is children are in heritage of the Lord. They're God's gift. Your children might not be or have been planned by you. But they were planned by God. 
their giftedness or lack thereof, their beauty or lack thereof, uh, are all chosen specifically for you as a parent to point. Have you ever thought about this? Science cannot produce life. At best, science can uh, preserve life that already exists. And by the way, it's never been done, but if man ever in a lab is able to produce life by bringing in the right uh, set of chemicals and and, and the right environment and the right electricity and all that, it's not going to ever happen, but if it ever does, it will not uh, prove that life can happen by accident. It will prove that life takes intelligence to occur. (laughs) I don't pretend to know why God gave life in some cases and not to others. I'm just saying there's a reason. See, we can look at the way God deals with his children and learn much about how we should deal with ours. By the way, one of the ways God describes himself is a heavenly father. That's a parent. (laughs) It's a big deal to be a parent. We can look at how and what God teaches. We can look at how uh, God loves and the way he loves and defines his love. We can look at the way God disciplines and and learn all a a lot about how we as parents should handle our children. And so this morning I want us all to begin to be conscious of the fact that our children have been lent to us by God to train. They belong to him and not to us. I wish I could plant this thought in the mind of every parent. You're preparing your children to marry somebody in most cases. Don't lift your hand. But if you wish you'd have been better prepared to join two lives together in your mind, lift your hand. (laughs) You're Raising your children for that. They're they're not a monument to you. You're raising your children to become what God designed them to be. They have eternal souls. They're not there for you and I to relive our childhood. They're not there for us to relive our athletic career. They're not uh, there for us to relive our our social uh, uh, problems that we had when we were in school. That's not why they're there. God gave them to us to find and point to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his plan for their life, and they will be better off doing it. Next week, Lord willing, we'll begin with some things to teach our children and practical pointers on how to teach them. If I were to ask you the question, what is the most important thing you teach your child? How would you answer that? Next week, Lord willing, we'll answer that question. By by the way, I'm sure there are answers all over the map here this morning. I need to teach them to love one another. I need to teach them to accept themselves, be themselves. Uh, Answers all over the map. What is the most important thing we teach our children? Uh, You should, if you do not have them already, Get one of these surveys each and one of these books per family. All right, I'll pass them out. If you did not get them yet, uh, come and get them from me. 
Uh, please invite your friends. Uh, come back next week. God bless you. You're dismissed. If you didn't get a book or a survey, come on up here, please.